Hello and welcome to this special edition of Talking Global Finance, the podcast for the global finance community. Arguably, the most important meeting of the year will be taking place over the next week in Glasgow, Scotland. World leaders are gathering for the eagerly awaited COP26 UN Climate Change Conference. Top of the agenda, how countries can curb their greenhouse gas emissions and reduce the disastrous effects of global warming. Now, we all have our part to play in this objective, and that, of course, includes the global finance community. International financial centres, such as the Isle of Man, increasingly see future investment through the prism of ESG, that is, environmental, social and governance factors. I'm your host, John Cronin, and in this edition of Talking Global Finance, we're going to explore how globally focused financial services businesses in the Isle of Man are responding to this challenge. Located in the heart of the British Isles, the Isle of Man has built an enviable reputation as an international financial centre, or IFC, offering unparalleled expertise and choice to suit diverse needs. But the drive towards ESG and ethical investment is increasingly redefining this world. So, with me to discuss this, I'm delighted to be joined by Greg Easton, Business Development Manager for ESG Investments at Capital International, and Vicky Kinraid, Fiduciary Services Manager at ILS World. Greg, Vicky, welcome to Talking Global Finance. Hello, John. Good to be with you. Looking forward to the conversation. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you both on the programme, and we're really looking forward to discussing the issues here because they're so important as well. So both of you are dealing with international clients every day. How have things evolved over the past 18 months, particularly with respect to ESG and ethical investing? Vicky, let me come to you first on that. I would say the last 18 months has made clients really take stock and consider the organisation and structuring of their affairs, particularly in a sort of post-COVID environment. We're seeing that consideration really has been given particularly to passing on the wealth to the next generation, but more of interest in ESG and philanthropic donations or enterprises. We're also seeing growth in the passion asset area, particularly with wines, cars, art and jewellery. ILS's private client team have really extensive experience in this area, particularly in the structuring of assets through trust company and foundation structures. We also have a network of trusted advisors who we work alongside to advise us with these various specialist fields. So you're seeing um, definitely an uptick, an increase in demand in this area then, Vicky? Absolutely. I think, obviously, the last 18 months has been difficult for all of us, particularly in the private client space, these clients are now thinking, what's important to us? What do we want to achieve? We want to create a legacy. How are we going to do that? And that's what the conversations we're having now with clients in that space, really sort of focusing in on what's important for their families and for the future. And Greg, is that what you're seeing too, the sense of what's important and and also that sense of what a legacy might mean and be? Yeah, thanks, John. I think the last 18 months, we've seen that accelerate. I think you need to go back uh, sort of 10 years, a little bit further to to really see how big the shift has been. And it really has been uh, a paradigm shift from from a world where ESG considerations were very niche, uh, where perhaps there was some some interest from from some clients. 
Um, but it wasn't a major consideration when it came to looking at their asset allocation or their investment strategy. Uh, whereas you fast forward now, uh, the, it, it is absolutely one of the, the, the most important considerations at the top of the agenda for, for a client. Um, and I think a large part of that has been driven by uh, by the Paris Agreement in 2015. And uh, you mentioned COP26. We've been uh, sort of planning and waiting for COP26 for, for two years now, um, where we've seen countries come forward with uh, their their increasingly ambitious, nationally determined contributions. And and uh, over the last 18 months, in particular, uh, we've seen uh, countries and governments uh, and businesses. Uh, starting to increase their commitments. Um, I think for us, next week is going to be a real test that in, in a number of areas to see whether um, whether we're seeing genuine progress um, because actually we're at this point now and, and I think clients and businesses and governments are, are appreciating post-COVID that we're at that point where we need to see material change uh, rather than just ambitions and, and plans. And your focus... Greg, is almost entirely then, as I understand, on ESG investments now at Capital International. Is that something that's happened relatively recently? Is that something that you've seen become a more dominant part of of your responsibility and role? Yeah, it has been. It's been an area I've been involved in for for a long while previously, having had a a sustainable forestry and agriculture fund based on the Isle of Man. Um, But uh, back Ten years ago, um, there was little interest from from clients. Um, whereas now, it, it really is something that they want us to be thinking about as an investment manager. And, and this extends from looking at uh, the the companies that um, we're investing in to see uh, what they're doing uh, all the way along their value chain. So, um, a, a lot of time there is focused on carbon emissions, and, and uh, some listeners may have come across Scope One and Scope Two emissions, which are the sort of more easily measurable uh, emissions for companies to be able to disclose. And what we're now focusing on is looking at things like scope three, which is uh, looking at where emissions might be for a company, say if they're a multinational with operations in in many different uh, different jurisdictions, trying to assess actually what is their overall impact on the environment. And, And I think one of the most interesting areas that we're now seeing as well um, is the real focus on biodiversity and the impact that investments companies can have on uh, land use and the impact on on nature loss and and again I, I think Vicky mentioned it a little bit that um, that the pandemic has given time not just for private clients uh, but for companies to to think about their position in the world what legacy do they want to have um, and and how do they want to position themselves and protect themselves for the future. Um, and, and you can see this being highlighted at COP26 uh, across lots of different uh, lots of different forums. Um, so yeah, and we'll be interested to see. Obviously, UK is hosting the Isle of Man is is actively involved. Um, we know the four core messages for COP26 are going to be around uh, cars and the transition to uh, electric vehicles, cash and the deployment of uh, of funds from developed nations into emerging markets to help with the transition to a cleaner economy. Um, we know they're also going to be looking at Article 6 and the, and the carbon markets. And, and fourthly, and, and probably for us, one of the most, um, most important areas is looking at, looking at biodiversity um, and, and, and trying to measure that um, compared to how we've done things previously. 
Okay, so both Capital International and ILS World are based here in the Isle of Man. As an international financial centre, how deep is the pool of knowledge when it comes to, well, wealth management and the like on the island? Let me come to you first on this, Vicky. What do you think? Well, I think we're obviously a very well-established offshore financial centre with, you know, a good regulatory background. Um, there's a great selection of wealth management and fiduciary firms likely who have extensive expertise in advising clients on structuring the management of their affairs and obviously investing as well. I think this expertise is really so important when we're advising clients and families, as each has bespoke needs which require proper thought and consideration. And do you think that that, that expertise, the, that, that core of knowledge that exists then in the island is, is something that, that can feed off itself and support itself as well? You know, there are other people in, in the, 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 the sector, in the uh, world that you're part of. Um, that are influencing and helping each other is that is there a critical mass that you see Vicky that makes such a difference yeah absolutely I, I think particularly as it's sort of a fiduciary our um, sort of position within the wealth management space is to structure clients affairs but we feed into obviously local law firms investment advisors such as Capital International to sort of advise our clients well like the conduit so we would bring experts in for different sort of bespoke needs and we sort of bring that all together for the client and sort of manage that for them so having that local expertise that we can sort of lean upon it's crucial to sort of what we do really and greg what are your thoughts here that deep pool that exists in the isle of man yeah so i, I think there is a, a if you will a, a institutional memory on the isle of man uh, whether that's across investment management fiduciary services uh, accounting insurance um, really, we have an industry that has been here for a long while uh, and, and is very well established. Um, but I think it's also important to sort of acknowledge that uh, that that's living and breathing and growing. So from our perspective, certainly within our business, and we're seeing others doing the same, um, we're always um, continuing to develop. So uh, within ESG, uh, a lot of our investment desks uh, are now uh, studying for the, uh, the CFA, uh, ESG Investment uh, Qualification. Um, which sort of extends their existing investment knowledge. And, and I think that's something that international clients appreciate from the Isle of Man. Not only are we a very well-regulated, stable jurisdiction, but we are one of, uh, of genuine expertise where they can come and talk to an experienced fiduciary like ILS um, and at the same time have access to uh, a dedicated investment manager that has uh, the, the, the knowledge of investment markets, but is also absolutely at the, the, the cutting edge and the forefront of thinking around subjects like ESG. Well, let's dive into this in a little more detail. What are the key things clients need to consider as part of intergenerational wealth transfer? Vicky, your thoughts on that first? Thoughtful continuity and forward planning the key to successful succession planning. And what we're seeing really is a growth in family charters as a starting point for succession and state planning. So where families are coming together, particularly post-COVID, and sitting around the table and thinking, actually, what do we want to do? What do we want to achieve? What sort of, again, what legacy do we want to leave? So that that sort of process really gives every interested party a voice, together with advisors, to work out a long-term mission statement for the family's affairs. And what we're seeing in these conversations is things like covering family members' needs, charitable giving, 
ESG investments and just the next generation feeding into those conversations because that's where the ethical investing side is more coming to the table with the Gen X and millennials. You know, totally that's part of everyday life for sort of younger people and those conversations are sort of being brought to the table. So that's it's quite an interesting time to sort of be in this space really. That's interesting, Vicky. So you're seeing um, the the younger generation with a slightly different, perhaps greener agenda than the the previous. Is that is that those are the conversations you're having? Absolutely, and as sort of Greg has alluded to, sort of ten years ago, that would not have been part of sort of wealth planning conversations. But such particular, maybe in a niche sort of space, but now that is very much a conversation on the table, and we're seeing a lot more sort of philanthropy post-COVID as well and sort of families looking to do sort of more ethical things with their investments and holdings but also thinking about charitable giving and structuring those affairs and that's something we've been working with clients on side setting up charitable foundations and things like that. And Greg are you seeing similar pressures similar a similar agenda from the the generation that's coming through? Yeah I think picking up on one of Vicky's points there that that and we could talk about this particular subject for a long while, but that one of the bits that struck me is the the increase in, in focus on family governance structures. Um, and that as part of that, um, there are multi-generational conversations happening. And yes, often it might be the younger generations that might bring uh, bring something to, to the table and say that we want to, uh, to to know far more about our investments. We want to see how your your positions and, and what exposure you have and how are you considering environmental impact as well as Social impact, um, not not to sort of forget those those elements um, w- within ESG, um, and and I think that is certainly changing the way that investment managers are looking after portfolios for international clients, and perhaps it, through structures. Um, but also, I think one consideration we we're, we're seeing increasingly from the matriarchs and the patriarchs is they're starting to realise that they have an ESG legacy to leave, and and with the knowledge that we have now. Um, the, uh, and the ability to make investment decisions and, and, and knowing that we can allocate in certain ways, put capital in certain directions that I could either at a very basic level can do harm or can do good, that there is that uh, realization that future generations um, will either reap the benefits from decisions now or suffer the consequences. I think one of the other really interesting points from an international perspective um, is that we've seen inequalities grow um, sort of through the pandemic. And, and we look after a lot of clients from South Africa, from Latin America, and they've become acutely aware of some of the governance issues um, in their home jurisdictions. Um, so not only does ESG look at the environmental impacts, it's also looking at the uh, the, the governance element. And, and I think that that really is something that the forefront of investors' minds and, and the Isle of Man is, is, is very well positioned to be able to assist clients uh, across the whole environmental, social and governance uh, <clears throat> sort of perspectives that, uh, that they're now wanting us to, to, to look at. Let me pick up on that point you raised there, Greg. The Isle of Man has built an enviable reputation for financial services expertise over the past decades. But how important is this reputation for the global investors you speak to? You've talked about South Africa and elsewhere. What's their view of the Isle of Man when you're dealing with them? Yeah, I, I think we have a very fortunate position where the Isle of Man has built over a long uh, period of time uh, a, a very uh, solid 
reputation. Um, I, I think that um, international clients in in uh, the sort of global economy that that we're in now are looking for uh, jurisdictions that um, provide them with certainty, uh, stability, uh, and transparency. Um, and I think increasingly you're adding to that list um, uh, the the sort of the, the economic substance piece, um, but also uh, around the sort of environmental substance. So um, the Isle of Man is a biosphere, um, and, and, and as such, um, the environment is an incredibly important um, natural asset uh, that, that we have here. And, and I think all of the businesses on the island um, certainly have that awareness now. And, and there is that sort of sensitivity of, of what we're doing and how we're, we're managing uh, clients' assets. And I'm sure um, in terms of structuring, it, it, it's also the, the, the same. Um, but that if clients are wanting to look at a jurisdiction that gives them um, sort of deep expertise and has that, uh, that reputation, um, the Isle of Man is, 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 is in a very good position. Um, I think it's maybe kind of what they recognize us for now um, is where are, where are the best places to go if you want to, uh, to find a provider that really understands the world, the international world we're living in. Um, and that wants that where they want us to factor in um, the environment, the, the the impact on society, and Vicky's point, um, the, the 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 governance considerations from a family perspective or from a corporate perspective when you're looking at uh, when you're looking at investments that uh, they might have exposure to. And just very briefly, let me just pick up on one point there. You described the Isle of Man as the biosphere. For those that don't know what that is, can you can you describe what that is? Yeah, so um, the Isle of Man's in, in a very fortunate position where we've been categorised by the UN as a biosphere. Um, it's the only uh, whole jurisdiction that has that, um, that, um, that categorisation. Um, so there are biospheres around the world. Um, and we have to work very hard as an island to maintain uh, our biosphere status, um, and we've we've recently been um, we we were uh, very uh, lucky to be awarded a um, a prize for Ironman uh, Biosphere uh, e- Economy. Um, so kind of recognizing what we're doing as a business um, to uh, <clears throat> to be to be part of that uh, biosphere community, um, and and I think maybe we'll we'll talk about it later on. But what international clients want to see from a jurisdiction. Um, and from businesses on that jurisdiction, uh, that they have that um, that that environmental substance that um, that what they're doing as a business um, is uh, is true and, and fair, um, and that it's not just a uh, a greenwash. Um, and I think that's one of the risks that international clients face at the moment, um, with ESG being so prevalent. Um, it's cutting through a lot of that noise to actually find providers that understand the issues and can deliver the solution. And to you on this, Vicky, reputation, of course, is so important um, uh, across uh, the financial services sector. The um, the expertise the Isle of Man has. Um, do you see that as a as a as a strong factor in the reason that global clients speak to you? Absolutely, I think it's incredibly important. The Isle of Man is is a well regulated and long established offshore financial centre. And we have sophisticated regulations which are fit for purpose. Um, ILS has been operating its head office in the Alman for 30 years. So some of our clients have been with us all the way through that journey. And I think what clients are really looking for is an established provider that they can sort of work with 
on a long-term basis because moving you know can be so disruptive so I think that's what clients are really looking for when they sort of meet with us they're trying to make sure we're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for us etc for a long working relationship and 30 years in the Isle of Man for ILS World Vicky uh, that in itself speaks to the uh, the depth of knowledge perhaps that there is in the Isle of Man does that length of time that you've been present in the Isle of Man does that matter for investors too? I think so I think it's it's hugely important and it, it's hugely important for referrals from clients that we've worked with for a long time they'll refer in their sort of contacts because they know we've been here we're here to stay and obviously we know what we're talking about as well. Well, just a final thought now on the, the the wider issues around the Isle of Man itself, the jurisdiction in itself. How closely aligned is the Isle of Man to the ESG priorities clients are increasingly demanding that we've been exploring in this podcast? Is the Isle of Man government playing its part in the drive for a more sustainable future? Greg, let me come to you on this one first. Yeah, so I think we're seeing the Isle of Man uh, taking uh, much more positive steps than actually engagement um, from from an ESG perspective. Um, we we saw earlier this year um, through quite a lot of uh, lobbying and and sort of uh, activism that the Isle of Man has now joined uh, the the Paris Agreement uh, through the the, the UK's um, the the UK's commitment uh, to to the Paris Agreement. Um, but on the island itself, yes, I think sort of picking up on on, on Vicky's point. Um, we are seeing uh, the government is is sort of um, leading initiatives, but actually a lot of the onus comes through to companies on the island and how closely we're working with government um, to to make sure that we are becoming more of a sustainable economy. Um, and again, I, I think um, you, you touched on um, the, the the kind of uh, depth of knowledge and experience that is here. The depth of understanding, I think, as well, um, continues to grow. Um, we we've recently celebrated our, our 25th anniversary as a business, and if you looked at the island 25 years ago, um, it is significantly different now in, in terms of um, the 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 the, uh, the level uh, of capability that, that that we have as an island, and and the the sum of all of our different uh, different companies that, uh, that that are based here. Um, and I think that that kind of positions us well for the future. I think being on an island, you're always um, get concerned as to to, to what um, what sectors might come and go. Um, and I think probably one of our, 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 our kind of most important points we want to, to be able to share is that the ESG is not something that is a passing fad or a trend. It really is fundamental to the way that you structure your wealth, to the way that you uh, to the way that you allocate capital. Um, and ultimately, we're at that point in, in history um, where countries, islands, businesses, clients need to make those decisions and they need to be from a position of being very well informed. Um, we have a, 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 um, an approach ourselves called conscious capital, um, which embodies everything we do now, not just in our investment thinking, um, but through what we do as a business ourselves. So, um, our, our ESG forum has, uh, reports directly into, into our board here. Um, and we, we've, we've been doing, uh, in line with the Isle of Man's commitment, uh, to, uh, to, um, to, to, to reducing its carbon emissions. Um, we're, we're doing the same. So, um, we've set a rather ambitious target of being carbon neutral by the end of 2025. Um, now that can just be an ambition or you can put substance to it. So, 
Uh, for us, we're, we're launching uh, an EV car scheme uh, for all of our uh, staff, not, not just directors or, or, or managers. And um, we've also embarked over the last uh, couple of years on significant tree planting initiatives and, and that biodiversity piece being very important. And we wouldn't be able to do that without the support of the Isle of Man government. Um, the, the landscape, the infrastructure that we have here is the ideal place to, to be based as a sustainable business. And Vicky, are you seeing, as Greg describes there, the same level of of support, infrastructure and otherwise from the Isle of Man government when it comes to uh, the, the, you know, the crucial issue of a more sustainable future? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with sort of ESG investments gathering energy with environmental and social efforts being sort of integrated into business activity, the Isle of Man is really quite well placed in this regard. I think, obviously, as we spoke about the biosphere status, and also sort of local charitable endeavours such as Beach Buddies. You know, as Greg sort of spoke about before, companies can align themselves with the Biosphere programme, which ILS has, has done as well. We've sort of looked at recycling, community projects, and that type of thing. So to get yourself registered in that scheme, you do have to do certain things as a company, and that's something we've taken seriously at ILS. But I think government support will continue as, you know, like Greg said, this isn't going anywhere. You know, it's only going to, grow and just as a sort of society we're all being sort of more conscious of you know recycling electric cars emissions you know it's just part of the conversation now isn't it i think you know and it, that's only going to sort of grow with time really and i wonder whether we, i could just sort of pick up on that point a little bit more vicky because I, I think sure. earlier you were talking about sort of trans uh, generational and intergenerational discussions and one of the little phrases that that um, has kind of been synonymous with what we're doing now is converting dinosaurs. Um, and I think there are still dinosaurs um, internationally, whether that's at, uh, within uh, global corporations, whether that is um, sort of uh, legacy wealth and, and decision makers, or whether that's within governments across the world. Um, and, and I think it's only through the uh, the, the activities that um, more sustainable businesses take an engagement with clients um, that we can gradually change uh, the thinking in many ways. Um, and, and what we found in our experience is once you do get a, a client that has that kind of epiphany and changes their thinking, they they become a converted dinosaur and, and almost the, the, the best ambassador you could possibly have for uh, making more sustainable changes um, through structures and through portfolios. Absolutely. And I think that has really been driven in the conversations and family charter discussions that we're having really by Gen X and millennials who really do have a passion for the for sort of ethical investing, the environmental factors, things like that. So that sort of passion and sort of drive and in everything sort of people do has been brought to the table. And, you know, in some conversations, it is sort of two, three conversations in where that has been taken seriously. But you know, the passion of, of younger people within this space is what's driving sort of the, the conversion of the dinosaurs, so to speak. Vicky, could I ask a quick question um, just from, from our perspective as a manager, because it's something we find really interesting. The, the whole concept around fiduciary duty um, and, and in the past how ESG was almost seen as an encumbrance to fiduciary duty, whereas now we're kind of seeing it as a reason why they, they need to be considering almost the ESG risk as part of their fiduciary duty. Is that something you're seeing happen? Is that kind of 
is the thinking within the industry changing now towards considering those factors? Absolutely. I think in the past, measuring performance of of ESG investments was difficult. And obviously, in terms of sort of your more vanilla portfolios where you're getting those reports as a trustee, reviewing those, make sure they're performing against benchmark and that type of stuff. I think as we sort of, as that develops, the reporting comes out that's more in line with what trustees are used to. I think there'll be more appetite for pushing people and sort of being open to those conversations. But, you know, as long as your sort of trustees open to investments and you understand the risks that need to be taken, then there's no sort of benchmark, sort of barrier, sorry, to sort of stop people going that way. But I think it's just in the past, I think getting the reporting back on those type of things was sort of a bit more niche. No, thank you, Vicky. It's, it's interesting here. And, and we're, we're certainly seeing that with clients that are then looking to want to uh, to make changes and, and actually how they go about doing that. There certainly is a transition for clients to go through. And I think it will take uh, a number of years for them to uh, to sort of become fully aligned. And I think really where the, the, the focus for us is once a client realizes that you don't need to sacrifice returns to be aligned with a more sustainable strategy, actually the conversation for clients becomes a lot easier. Um, and also looking at those risk elements of actually what exposure do clients have that they're maybe not aware of, um, whether that's uh, things like stranded assets that they might have in their portfolios um that that perhaps needs to be addressed from a risk perspective um so the, john apologies we've gone off off piece a little there for you but just it was an area i was interested in whilst whilst we had vicky on the uh, on on the podcast well no i mean it's it's a fascinating conversation and what's clear is that um we're all on a journey here whether it's um converting dinosaurs or listening to the voices of the the next generation that's coming through but i think it's a uh, a fascinating conversation that you've both been part of and contributing to but unfortunately we are now out of time so let me just thank you both greg easton business development manager for esg investments at capital international and vicky kinraid fiduciary services manager at ils world and thank you for listening to this edition of Talking Global Finance. It's been great to have you with us. Don't forget to like us and please do share any comments you have about the podcast. And if you want to find out more about what the Isle of Man could offer you or your business, go to Finance Isle of Man. That's all one word, financeisleofman.com. But until next time, goodbye. <laughs>